Hey, Shannon, you always talk about those just right activities. What do you mean exactly by those? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that. And I'm so glad to talk about this because this is a subject near and dear to my heart. Tune in. This is the Reading Teacher's Lounge, where listeners can eavesdrop on professional conversations between elementary reading teachers. We're passionate about literacy and strive to find strategies to reach all learners. Shannon and Mary are neighbors who realized that they were literacy soul sisters at a dinner in their Atlanta neighborhood. Once they started chatting about reading, they haven't really stopped. Come join the conversation. This is episode 15, a conversation about ZPD and rigor. Hey, I'm Shannon Betts, and I've been teaching for over 16 years. My specialty is locating the missing pieces in students' reading development and choosing just right activities to fill those gaps. You can find me online at readingdevelopment.com and at rdngdevelopment on Twitter and Instagram. Hi, I'm Mary Sagoffi, and I'm a reading tutor. I have taught in all elementary grades. I have Orton-Gillingham training, and I have been helping students with reading issues and dyslexia for 10 years. I love talking all things teaching, and I believe that humor goes a long way when asking students and teachers to do hard things. I'm excited to share with Shannon and learn along with all of you. So Mary, were you like me? Did you hear about CPD in college? Oh, yeah. Elementary education. Yes. Intro to child psychology, I think it yes. was. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the one. So I heard about, we heard about a lot of researchers in that class, and they kind of all ran together. I remember Pavlov's dogs, and I remember Skinner. Yes, and the conditioning of, and all the behavioral conditioning and all of that. Yep. And I remember the name Vygotsky. I remember answering some questions on the final about him, but I didn't really internalize what ZPD was until I got in the classroom. Yes. And I um, really was reintroduced to it early on in my teaching career, maybe first year, or second year, because of Accelerated Reader, because mm-hmm. they weave ZPD into all that they do. And so did Star Reading, yeah, which we did both those programs at my school. And so once I was reintroduced to ZPD through Accelerated Reader and Star Reading, I just fell in love with it. And so then I actually pulled out my old textbooks and started reading it again because I found it to be true for students. Yeah. What is... Um, what is in the theory of CPD and it has become so woven in to my educational philosophy as a teacher that you can't separate it. It, it, it in every single decision I make as a teacher, every lesson I do, every interaction I have with students is informed because of ZPD. Because you want to find out what zone should you be getting your students directed into. Exactly. Where are they? What zone are they in? Remember ZPD, the zone of proximal development. Thank you. Zone of proximal development. And so Vygotsky came up with this in the early 20th century Mm -hmm. and called it the zone of proximal development because saying that that's where the students were close to learning. um, That's their level, their zone, the area around they're tr- you're trying to hone in on the target, so it's sort of like a target, right? Yeah, so he said um, aim for learning at the next developmental zone. And so we're going to post a little circle graphic in our show notes um, and on our social media 
that it, I think sometimes visuals do a better job than words of explaining things, but there's, you know, three different circles, like all one inside the other. And the middle circle says what I can do. And that means by yourself. Mm-hmm. So we call that the independent level. Yep. And then the next circle outside of that is what I can do with help. Instructional level, am I That's right? That's instructional level. Oh, and good. that is their ZPD. It's pushing the students out of their comfort zone a little bit. It's stretching their learning a little bit where some things are a little bit easy, some things are a little bit tricky, but they can be successful with a little bit of support. And then the outer circle is what I can't do. And that's frustration level. Right. And this is just, I think, timely to talk about this right now because we're in a real trend of rigor right now. Yes. And I'm hearing it a lot in my school, and I've heard it at the previous school I was at of just, Rigor, rigor, rigor. Where's your rigor meter? These kids need to be pushed. These kids need to be pushed. And I feel sometimes that we're pushing them a little bit too much. If a student cannot read and we're giving them grade level work that is two or three grade levels beyond what they can do, that's just a recipe for frustration. Absolutely, yeah. And the students are going to tune out and they're going to become disengaged from the school day. And I've just seen that time and time again, which is why I think sometimes we end up with kids who can't read in the upper grades. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, If you are teaching, I always think of, um, for me, um, when I was in college, you know, we would do um, our reading inventories and you would find out where, what level your kids were at the frustration and the instructional and then their independent reading levels. And so you know that 90% is supposed to be their instructional level. If they understand 90% of the words that they're reading and they can comprehend at that level, then that should be pretty good. Independent would be higher than 90%. And then, um, I think it's 85 and below is, um, the frustration level. So Think about that right now as a percentile. If what you're teaching them they don't understand 85% of, that's frustrational level and you're not really getting anywhere. Right. Right? Uh, almost like a foreign language. Or I, I was chatting with Shannon a little bit about how when my husband is speaking with medical terminology, maybe I understand 60% or can kind of piece together, but there is no way that I would be fluent or understand what he's talking about at that point. You couldn't write about what he had said. Oh, I definitely you couldn't process write it. it. Yeah, absolutely not. So, teachers, are we teaching too much? Because there is rigor that you can do at, a, at an instructional level. Yes. I, this is controversial, I think, sometimes when I say it, but I'm starting to say it where I work. Um, I'm starting to say it when I go to district level staff development, because I think it needs to be said and that more teachers need to have the courage to say it. But I believe that learning to read is rigorous. Yeah. And so if a student is sitting in a second or third or fourth grade classroom and they cannot read, then their rigor is learning to read. And that should be goal number one. 
At the instructional level. Yes. Because the yes. instructional level will be their zone of proximal development. Exactly. Woo-hoo! So if they're in the fourth grade and they're on a first grade reading level, I would not spend a lot of time working on cause and effect and main idea and other fourth grade level comprehension skills with them. I would want, I would push them for a few months to work on early first grade reading skills, and then hopefully they would make accelerated growth and then we could work on later first grade reading skills and then early second grade reading skills and then later second grade reading skills and push them in that ZPD, push them at that instructional level. I'm not saying dumb it down to their independent level and leave them there. Correct. It's moving them forward always, but moving them within a range that the students can handle that's not, you know, up to the level of frustration. Well, and we know, too, that when the instruction is um, working well and the kids are making progress, they can make progress quickly. They can. I used to have about two years worth of growth on average with my um, reading intervention students where I could get two years worth of growth in one year. And that was working with them for about an hour a day. And some students, if they really tried really hard outside of my group time and worked harder, one student I had three and four years growth out of. Wow, yeah. So we're talking about reading levels, and let's go a little bit more explicitly into how reading levels are connected with CPD. Yeah. So the Accelerated Reader Program explicitly talks about ZPD, and when you use it with star reading especially, you can see how those are connected. So star reading will give a grade level equivalency mm-hmm. score, and it will actually also give you an independent score and an instructional score. They will actually provide both scores for you, yep. and they they set the ZPD within one year okay. beyond the independent level. Great. Okay. okay. So the decimal points stand for a tenth of a grade because the typical school year is 10 months long. Right. And so that's how I explain it to students. So here in Georgia, we start in August. So a student um, at the beginning of third grade should be at a 3.0 reading level. And their CPD would be sometimes a little bit below and then above. So they might, their ZPD that Accelerated Reader would provide would be 2.8 to 3.8. Mm-hmm. It might give them a little bit of easy books that are a little bit below 3.0 mm-hmm. and then push them all the way to about 3.8. I see. And that gives the media specialist, it gives the classroom teacher an idea of where, what types of books to encourage the student to read, what books to use in guided reading lessons. Mm-hmm. and group lessons you can actually for read alouds you can choose reading levels that are much higher than their independent instructional level because they are able to have a much higher comprehension oh. uh, with reading level like i've heard you can go up to like three levels higher with comprehension this is interesting to me because i've been in schools that either like just stopped using ar or were um, you know, previously using it and then maybe they might start, but I actually have never taught using AR. So I adore AR and they took it it. away from our school and I'm just devastated and trying to find 
alternate funding for it because I miss it. But I use it as a tool, but I'm not religious about it. So one time I worked with a colleague and she made the students go, okay, you can only read 3.1 books. Okay, you can only read 3.2 books. Okay, Mm -hmm. you can only read 3.3 and 3.4. I think that's too strict. I like the range of a whole grade level of books. I like the range as well because it's not necessarily a bad thing to have students working a little bit below, um, you know, to develop fluency. And then when they're working to develop, you know, more comprehension skills and they're trying to challenge themselves um, and working a little bit more in their instructional level or even maybe a little bit towards the frustration level and challenging themselves. But they might have a high interest in a certain chapter book that they're really wanting to get. And so, yes, I never want to say to a student, you know, if this is within your CPD, okay, yes, get that book. I want you to push yourselves. But if you're at a 3.0 level, I don't want you to choose a 7.0 reading level as your only reading material. Because then you're never going to get practice. That's then you are going to get to frustration level. Even if the student has high interest, they're not equipped to do all the comprehension independently by themselves with it. I um I think I feel like it must have just been a smart teacher I was talking with one time, who said um you know you never really should tell a kid no to a book that they're interested in, but you may say hey this book may be a little more challenging for you. Can you think about who you may get support from. Exactly. And when you have support, your ZPD, you can do more with it. Right. Absolutely. So I think like encouraging students to, you know, it doesn't, it could be the librarian. It could be, you know, a teacher. It could be a friend who, you know, has a higher reading level. It could be. You could have the recorded book to support you with it. Right. Absolutely. So there are lots and lots and lots of ways that you need to encourage students, I think, to be able to advocate for themselves in that. I agree with that. So the decimal points stand for each month of school year. So 3.0 would be August or September, depending on when the school year starts. And then the next month would be 3.1 and 3.2. And mid-year, usually at the you know Christmas and January break, would be 0.5. It would be middle of the school year. I see. And so I would have conferences with my reading intervention students, and we would talk about their reading level. And sometimes it got a little, no, I wouldn't say tense, okay? But I called it a come to Jesus meeting because I had some students sitting in the fourth or fifth grade that were had a reading level of 1.1, 1.2, 1.3. And I didn't want them to feel shame about that, but I also didn't want them to be passive about it and right. just shrug their shoulders and say, okay, I'm low. I'm going to always be low. I'm not, I'm just going to you know, kind of mentally check out of school. And so I had conferences with them at the beginning of the year to own what level they were at. Great. And say, okay, this is the, this is the level that you're at. And where do you, where should you be? If Mm -hmm. you're a fourth grader and you're at a 1.1, where should you be? You're in fourth grade. And I made this like staircase where every single step had um, one tenth of the grade nice. and I color coded it the same that we have our books color coded in the library. And it was because I wanted them to see, you know what? You're far away. Mm-hmm. You are. And I don't want you to feel bad about that, but I need you to work hard to change it. Right. Or even just giving them how many steps do you want to set as a goal right now? Yes. That's and great. what's realistic. And so we had a little Lego man and we went, 
you know, put the Lego man on where they should be. And then we put the Lego man where they were and we would kind of see how many steps it was. And then I would talk about like the work that it would take yeah. to get, you know, each level of the staircase, what skills we would have to learn, what phonics sounds we'd have to learn, what comprehension skills we'd have to learn, how many words a minute we'd have to start reading to be able to grow. And I would show them in the guided reading books that I would do throughout the year. Okay, this is, see, it's going a little bit higher in the staircase and I'm pushing you up your ZPD and now we're a little bit higher in our staircase and now we're going a little bit higher. And it was always a really exciting time when we would take mid-year tests because they could see on that staircase, this is where I was yeah. and this is where I am now. And this is the work that I did to get there. And I was constantly, their ZPD was a little bit like a moving target, Sure. but I wasn't pushing them beyond the frustration. And that, that was a little, that was a little bit difficult sometimes to balance because I got a lot of pressure to teach the grade level standards. Right. Why aren't you teaching the fourth grade standards? They need to be prepared for the fourth grade test. Right. And I tried that. My first few years being a reading intervention teacher, I tried that. I just like, okay, I'm going to teach what's in the curriculum. That's what everybody wants me to do. That's what I'll do. And the students didn't grow. Right. And so I felt like it was a waste of all of our energy and time. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was frustrated. Kind of the students were frustrated. Yeah. You're yes. banging your head against the wall yes. because you're trying to get information that has no foundation to build upon. Main idea meant nothing to the students right. who couldn't read the most basic words. And we're talking about reading, like actually independently reading, not with the support of an audiobook or not with the support yeah. of, of just auditory. Because I know lots of kids who are struggling readers who have, actually are pretty good at comprehension because they're auditory comprehension. Yeah, that's really one of their strong. coping behaviors that we talked about in the other episode, that okay. they can listen and piece together what's going on in class, but when you ask them to read or write, and usually their writing level matches their reading level, mm -hmm. um, was much lower. Yeah. And so I just made that decision after trying and it didn't work, that while these kids were assigned to me, I was going to teach them how to read. Because I wanted to look at myself in the mirror and be okay with it each day that I taught these children how to read. And that eventually we would get up to the fourth grade standards That's once right. they learned to read. And I, I was moving their ZPD along over, you know, as their reading level rose, that ZPD rose where I could push them a little bit further and I could push them a little bit further and we got further and further up. I think staircase. what's so important <clears throat> that's not to be missed in this conversation, though, is that you use the data, you share the data with your students, they understand the data, and you help them become responsible for owning the score that they have, and also owning the growth that they make. Yes, and they could celebrate that growth because they knew that they had put in the work and did it. Right. I think that, um, I know that there's a lot more push right now to have data conversations, but um for me, that was definitely a weakness that I don't think I was ever able to really get to my students and, and explain the data the way that you do. So I think those data conferences are really awesome and essential. So props to you for that. Well, thank you. So now that um, we don't have Accelerator Reader, but we have Map Testing, I still do have those data conversations, but they look a little different. Right. Um, but what I love about Map is that they ZPD is connected to what they do too because they are not going to be tested at their frustration level so right. they are tested within their cpd 
And so if they're in fourth grade and they're on a first grade reading level, they're going to get first grade questions on their, on the map test. Right. And then some second grade questions and they're going to measure the growth. Did they master the standards at the level that they currently are at? And we, and my school just did a, a big data dive and I kind of got a little outspoken about it because the upper grade teachers, um, are really rigorous and they are pushing their students so hard and they are doing so much to get ready for our state test, which is mostly written mm-hmm. and high level analysis skills and reading multi-paragraph essays and then comparing and contrasting them and which are extremely difficult for our students who are struggling readers. And the teachers are just working every day, extra hours, pushing these students. The rigor is happening in the classroom. Yes. And in mid-year map, the students didn't make very much growth. Mm-hmm. The um, on-grade level kids did. Uh-huh. Which is actually not surprising. Right, because it's so rigorous, and that's good. I mean, wow. that's why I call it differentiated rigor, because... I, the kids who can handle it and that if that's their level, then yes, the grade level curriculum is within their CPD, but the lower level ones didn't meet their goals. And we had to analyze and say why we thought that happened. And I said, I think the work's too hard yeah. for these lower students and no, no people, it was not a popular thing to say. Right. I think that it, yeah, that wouldn't be a popular thing to say. However, um, you can't ignore what the data is telling you either. Right. You, you can't build on the foundation that's not there. Well, it's two different prescriptions. Like if you want to get, what kind of test scores are you looking for? If you're looking for higher MAP scores, then you're going to have to teach within a student CPD and you're going to have to look at the continuum and see what skills they're missing. And the MAP continuum does a good job of explaining what skills they need on that staircase. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, but if you're preparing for the state test and you want to follow the district curriculum, then you're just going to teach grade level material, you know, and hope for the best. And you might provide a graphic organizer or something as a scaffold, but that might just not be enough, you know, for a non-reader. If you're a non-reader or a very low level reader and you're working on your first fourth grade test, a cause and effect uh, graphic organizer is not really going to help you at all if you can't decode the words it, that you're reading. Right, and if you can't, if you don't know your sight words, you're not going to be able to write a paragraph, much less multi-paragraph compare and contrast essay. Yeah, this ZPD episode really ties back into a lot of our um, previous conversations. So if you um, are unfamiliar with MAP test and your school is doing it, Shannon has provided us with a really wonderful um in-depth episode all about map testing and um, what the scores indicate and how you can build on those um, uh, word is escaping my brain right now but um, how you can build on the skills that your students need to build on and where they need to build them so we're, it, it ties in with a lot of lessons because, like I said, ZPD is like everything I do as a teacher. So right. I, it's it, you know, it's never far from me. Um, you're probably like us because I don't think it's just my part of the Mm-mm. state or my part of the country where there's a rigor trend. I've worked in two districts that had explicit 
rigor meters. Sometimes we even had to color code our lessons on the board or in our lesson plans of what level of rigor it was or what depth of knowledge it was. Had a coworker who would say, instead of like, riddle me this, riddle me that from Batman, he would say, rigor me this, rigor me that. I love it. Every time uh, (laughs) we would find that rigor meter. Um, But we just wanted to start this conversation. This is the teacher's lounge. Right. It's a safe place. (laughs) It's a safe place. The door's closed. You can talk about things. I, one of the things that I keep thinking back to is that teachers may not have the skill set to find those activities that are actually just right. Like you may know how to do that, but can you actually differentiate in your classroom? Can you research and find the um, correct instructional methodology to meet those needs of the kids and where they're, um, you know, having those issues. So there's a lot, we all know that teaching is really complicated and really difficult and not for the weary. (laughs) Well, and when you have a lot of levels, different levels within your room, it's, it is a lot of work to balance all those levels. And sometimes it is easier to just, okay, well, I'm going to teach the whole group at the grade level material because I I don't have enough in my toolbox to support all the different levels and whether they're below level or high level. And we're going to talk about um, an episode and meet some other teachers that are doing amazing work, balancing all those levels. I'm lucky. I mean, just because I've been doing this over 16 years, I have huge boxes of resources that I can pull out at a moment's notice for a student wherever they fall Right. On the reading level staircase. Well, I think the other key is like prioritizing, you know, um, another really smart person I said, said, you can't be at all, all the time. Mm-hmm. You can, it's almost like, um, you know, you have three cups or you have five cups in your life and your social life and your career and, and all of these things. And it's the same with being a really good teacher. You've got all of these things that you need to balance. Choose three and try every day to rotate those three around. Yes. And you'll be okay. <laughs> and, and you just do the best you can. Well, I'll be honest. I mean, my map data was not, it, it was okay, but it wasn't as good as it could be. So all my mid-level and high-level students met their goals and really exceeded them. So I've moved them very high. And my lower-level students just missed their goals by a couple points. Um, they did show growth, but not enough. And when I looked back over and reflected on the first semester, I realized I wasn't seeing my guided reading groups every single day. Mm. I fell into the rigor trend myself. Yeah, of course. Because I wanted, I'm a people pleaser and I wanted to do the right thing. And sometimes I feel like if I'm giving students just right work, it's almost like it has to be in secret behind a closed door because if they see me giving an easier work to a student that doesn't appear rigorous on the surface, and you're going to get reprimanded. Right. Even though it is rigorous to that child I, who's yeah. a non-reader. I'm nodding along because I've heard this <laughs> at every school I've ever taught at, and it happens all the time. So, but I, you know, had a self-reflective moment looking at my map scores, and I said, okay, going into second semester, my non-negotiable is these students, my two lowest reading groups. And... All month of January, I've seen them every single day. Every single day, I've had them in reading group. Great. And they're making the growth now because I'm finally giving them work that they can handle. The work that I was doing with the rest of the students was too hard for them, and I wasn't spending enough time meeting them where they were. And so even with all my experience and all my activities, I 
fell into the the rigor pit myself. So I think that at any year of teaching, whether it's your first, second, third year, where you're just trying to figure it all out, to later on where you're just so feeling bogged down about you can't do anything right. Um, yeah. A lot of teachers feel that way, and it's it's an ugly struggle. So you have to make some really hard decisions, and I think the key is um, prioritize. Yes. Well, I like what you said about pick three things, and that's sort of what I've done is I've set up um, the middle and high students with a lot more independent challenge work, yeah. and um, we're tracking their own data, and I'm sort of putting them in challenge against each other to see who can do more. Yes, and I'm trying to get cool. them to push each other so that I have the time and energy freed up to be able to see the other groups more frequently. That's great advice. I think that's exactly what some of our listeners probably needed to hear right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm just repeating the phrase differentiated rigor, rigor because I hope that it, it takes off because each, I am providing rigorous instruction in my classroom to every student, but it doesn't look the same. And I'm defining rigor differently, you know, and I hope that if, I hope I don't get reprimanded for it, but if I do, I have all the data to back up why I'm doing it. And you mentioned what teachers might need. The continuum really does help me because yeah, the map continuum, yes, mm -hmm. because it lists all the skills that they need. And I had already realized those skills because I had taught intervention to first grade and second grade and third grade and fourth grade and fifth grade students. So I sort of, I've internalized a lot of the, lot of the common core standards, right? Just through all the years that I've taught at different levels, but the continuum matches all of that. And so it does a good job of explaining what skills are missing for the students who are at a first grade level or a second grade level and so forth and what they need to, to close that gap. I think if you need a, you know, something to kind of get you through, decide that you want to help your students develop a love of learning. And that's what you work on for that week and move forward the next week and come up with another, you know, mantra to get you through. I, I, I always found that those things really help. And, you know, you want your kids to develop this love of learning and then also a growth mindset. And I think you're really developing that for your kids in your classroom. So, yeah, those are the non-negotiables for myself. Um, I'm, I'm vowing to meet students where they are. Mm -hmm. I'm setting goals with them and supporting their growth. I'm doing my best to minimize their frustration. And I'm working to develop a love of learning and a growth mindset. Awesome. And that to me is learning that's beyond any standard. And it's hopefully character development, thinking development, that the student, right, that will take the students beyond just my classroom. Yeah, absolutely. They're learning big things. Their little minds are learning big things all the time. And teaching is a big responsibility. And, uh, you know, just treasure that. It's important. So come join the conversation. Uh, if you want to do it in a more anonymous way, you can email us at readingteacherslounge at gmail.com. Or if you want to comment on our Instagram post that we're going to be connected to this episode, you can tell us if you are dealing with this pressure for rigor and how you are balancing that with supporting your readers at every level. Yeah. We'd love to hear your ideas. We'd love to hear some feedback. Thank you all for listening tonight. Um, 
The Reading Teacher's Lounge podcast would like to thank Jordan Kempker for providing the original music and Allison Zane of Fruit Creative for the artwork. And please remember to leave us a review on iTunes. That will help more teachers find us. Um, And also, if you find our information valuable, please tell a fellow teacher or a parent to come check us out at our webpage, www.readingteacherslounge.com.